0: Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. Uh, Genesis 49, verse 13. Zebulon, let me give you a little, for those of you who weren't here. Um, So Jacob has called his sons uh, to bless them, and we're just going through the blessings that he gives each of his sons and and. We got through Judah, and now we're beginning with the blessing for for the rest of the sons. Uh, Zebulon will live by the seashore and become a haven for ships. His border will extend toward Sidon. Isaacar is a raw-boned donkey lying down among the sheep pens. That's a wonderful one. When he sees how good is is his resting place and how pleasant is his land, he will bend his shoulder to the burden and submit to forced labor, labor. Yeah. Some of these feel are like, I don't know. I don't know how I feel. Like, did you hear what you just said about Judah? I thought it was going to get like a real nice, real nice thing. Um, so just a note here. So Isaacar, it starts with Zebulun, but Isaacar is actually the older brother of Zebulun. So this is actually kind of strange that Zebulun comes first, but as we see, we've seen this happening continuously and it's going to continue with Isaacar and Zebulun. So uh, Zebulun, um, his tribal district is, is close to the sea. It's not, it's not always, the borders don't always touch the sea. Um, however, it was situated on an important trade route used by sea traders called the Via Maris, which means the way of the sea, that extended all the way from Damascus to Egypt. And they had great trade with Tyre and Sidon. So most of their commerce and prosperity for the tribe of Zebulun came from the sea, came from sea traders. Isaacar um, is a raw bone donkey. Um, That's I'm sure, like if they had said this to him younger, when he was younger, his brothers would have uh, ate that up and been like, "Hey, come over here, raw bone donkey," Um, because we we think of that as a negative. um, I mean, it just sounds negative, uh, but it's it's not. Donkeys were valuable at the time. If you remember when they went to Egypt and they didn't know. Joseph was their brother. Remember, one of the brothers was like, I think they're going to steal. They want to steal our donkeys, right? They're going to take our donkeys, which just shows you how important donkeys are um, and how um, vital they were. So, so donkeys um, are, are hardworking, right? They're, they're, they're nose to the grind, hardworking. And Isaacar becomes an industrious and hardworking tribe. Um, in their land possession, and actually, can we throw that map up? Real quick, that we had up last week, because we're, um, we're going to keep talking about these land possessions. When they're divided, their location um, actually becomes kind of important to some of the promise, some of the blessings. And so um, in their land possession, uh, the valley of Esdraelon uh, was subject to raids uh, from, from the Arabs, uh, the, the tribe of Isaacar. And so rather than giving up their land um, or continuing to fight uh, over and over, if you can see, it's right next to that little lake there, Um, uh, they actually uh, decide to pay tribute, to live in peace. They pay tribute to live in peace. So that does come true when we're looking at the verse where it says, he will bend his shoulder to the burden and submit to forced labor." Um, because they don't want to fight. And we'll see with a, many of the tribes, they're constantly fighting. I mean, in this time, they're fighting amongst themselves. They're fighting amongst raiders. They're fighting with the Philistines. Uh, a, a lot of fighting to defend their land, to defend their trade routes. And it's really common, actually, for them to attack. The, I mean, everyone. This is what you did. To provide for yours. If there were traders coming through and they weren't, they hadn't worked out a deal with you, you would raid them and take their stuff. Right? And so... All these clans, some more than others, have kind of a warlike attitude. But this one, specifically, Issachar, rather than giving up their land or fighting over it continue, they agree to pay tribute to someone else to live in peace. Uh, So that's kind of how that works out. And let's look at uh, verse 16. Dan will provide justice for his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan will be a snake by the roadside a viper along the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider tumbles backward. I look for your deliverance, Lord. And now people kind of think this can mean different things. Other versions uh, say, where this one says, Dan will provide justice for his people. Other versions say Dan will judge his people. If you remember when he was born, his mother, Rachel, uh, says, God has judged me. Uh, it's, it's not his mother. Rachel's not his mother. Um, But she says, God has judged me because she couldn't um, give birth, and her concubine does. So she says, God has judged me. So it's kind of funny because people take Dan and think it means like Dan will judge, and others think it it is more like Dan is judged um, uh, as one who receives divine punishment. And we'll look at both of those uh, possible meanings. So the tribe of Dan does produce the most famous of the judges. Can anyone think of who the most famous of the judges is? Can, can never, what? Samson. Samson uh, was the most famous of the judges. So if you couldn't recall him, you won't remember any of the others. Um, but the tribe, uh, and so people are like, oh, well, it will judge judges people? And Samson's uh, the most famous judge. But the tribe of Dan themselves become very loose in morals and in idol worship. Uh, they share a border with the Philistines, they're heavily influenced by the Philistines. Um, you, you see where these people are. Um, it really matters in terms of trade, in terms of who they're around, and they are heavily influenced by the Philistines. If you, even if you remember the story of Samson, he was he, God brought him to do what? To deliver them from the Philistines, right? Samson's job that God gave him was deliver them from the Philistines, but even though he's like a judge and his job is to deliver them from the Philistines, we see him indulge in some Pagan practices. Like, have any of you wondered, like, okay, this guy's a judge. He's an Israelite. Like, and, and we always think, like, he's a Christian, you know? Like, what what makes him want Delilah, right? Why? why? Like, wh- what is attractive about her? I mean, I'm sure she's attractive. But, like, she, she doesn't have godly traits. He just kind of gets caught up. I mean, if, if, if his heart is attracted to this person, we can already see that it's kind of already... It's kind of already enthralled with some things that are not of God. And so so we see this with Samson. And and this is common for the tribe of Dan. Uh, Later, Dan grows so tired of going back and forth fighting the Philistines uh, that they actually abandon their land allotment, the land that was given to them by God. They abandon it, and they move north and attack a town called Laish and rename it Dan, and they set up a center for idol worship there. Um, and they justify this, as you can read in Judges 18. They justify setting up all these idols in this town because they say, well, God's just so far away because right now he's in Shiloh. Right? The, the, the ark is in Shiloh. That's so far away. Right? So, so they felt justified in their idolatry because of their distance from the rest of Israel. And which is kind of funny because, well, you're, you're distant from us because you left your land allotment and went north. And so Dan, we can see, I mean, is, is Dan going to judge his people or is Dan judged? Does it mean like divine punishment? And, and I think that it is this future of idol worship, this future of pagan practices that leads to Jacob calling them a serpent by the way, a viper on the path causing people to fall causing people to fall off their horse because because they are help help Israel fall into pagan practices. In fact, in Revelation 7, which we read a few weeks ago, if you remember, it listed 144,000, and it went through and listed 12,000 of each tribe, right? And in each of those, and and Dan, I don't know if you noticed this, but Dan was not listed there. This is like standing before the Lord. And we noticed that um, Ephraim wasn't listed because he was Joseph. I pointed that out, if you remember. But Dan was not listed at all as one of the 144,000. Um, so I think that's closer to the truth of this tribe when we look, of them, look at them as Dan, the judged tribe, in terms of divine punishment. But we see, and we even see that Jacob he says at the end of this, he says, I look for your deliverance, Lord. Like he's talking to his sons. He's giving them something. And you can, these, these are prophecies. I mean, God is speaking right now. And you can see that he's giving word to someone and giving word to someone else. And then he stops in the middle of it and speaks for himself and says, I look for your deliverance, Lord. Like save my son. Lord, save my son. Lord, may they not be judged. And, and which that will come. Deliverance will come if you look in Ezekiel 48, and I'm not going into these. I'm just listing them so you can write them down if you're interested. Revelation 7 and Ezekiel 48, where it talks about the dividing up of the land when Jesus returns. And Dan is listed there. So while they're not listed as part of the 144,000, they are listed in Ezekiel in a time later than what happens in Revelation um, and, they, and they are listed as, giving, as receiving a land allotment. So they do, at some point, receive deliverance as Jacob is crying out for here. Let's move on to Gad in 19. Um, Gad will be attacked by a band of raiders, but he will attack them at their heels. Asher's food will be rich. He will provide delicacies fit for a king. Naphtali is a dough set free that bears beautiful fawns. So Gad, um, because Gad decides, if you look, they, um, along with East Manasseh and Reuben, are all east of the Jordan. They decided to take land outside of the promised land. They didn't take land in the promised land. They thought the land outside of the promised land would be better for their needs, so they don't actually go in. They help take the land, but then they go back outside of the promised land. And because Gad um, decides to settle outside of the promised land, you can see right next to them are the Ammonites. And beneath Reuben are the Moabites. So you're kind of asking for it, right? You're kind of asking for it. You're just like, oh, we're going to live out here on the border, right on the edge of where our people are. So they settle in the area of Gilead and it makes them susceptible to attacks from raiders. Um, The borders of Gad are exposed to many of Israelite's enemies, like I mentioned, the Moabites, the Ammonites, which are descendants of Lot. And so they found themselves constantly doing battle, much like the tribe of Dan, who bordered the Philistines. Um, The tribe of Asher, uh, it says they enjoy great abundance. They're up there uh, to the northwest next to Naphtali. In fact, their land is actually some of the most fertile in the entire area. And they produce great amounts of quality corn and olive oil. Um, And they obviously, it says, produce delicacies for the king in the future. They're mostly an agricultural tribe um, and don't participate in military conflicts. They're just farming. They're just farming. They're just there in the land. I picture them. They never wear shoes. They have flowers in their hair. Um, Just like, hey, man, we're just farming out here. And they're like, what are you guys using? And they're like, it's all organic, man. It's all, it's all gray. Um, so and then the tribe, um, Naftali. Um, in other versions, uh, this may say, Naftali. it says, is a doe set free? In another, another version, it might, it might say, is a deer let loose? Um, and it says, that bears beautiful fawns. Um, but in many other versions, it says, he uses beautiful words, which is very different. He uses beautiful words, he bears beautiful fonts. What's it gonna be? You gonna be a poet, you gonna, you're gonna make beautiful babies. It's Very different, or maybe poets make beautiful babies. Anyone looking, keep that in mind, okay? So, some say, some say, um, this is saying that the tribe will flourish, right? Um, the Deer let loose, some say it's like, oh, it means like they have deer-like speed and agi- agility, which I love, I remember when I took Taekwondo, I would have loved if they were like, man, you are like quick like a deer. You know, be like, oh, yeah, like a fawn, right? I don't think it would have gone over well. I don't know any, um, any of the movies I watched growing up where there were ninjas. None of them were named fawn. It was all like, well, I won't reveal the movies I watched. Um, actually, I'm thinking of that movie Three Ninjas that Elise watched. It was a dumb kid movie. Um, and I hated it. If anyone's never seen it, don't watch it. Um, and it's not Christian. Okay, um, so anyway, uh, some were like, oh, they're, they're, they're quick, they're quick to react. They have deer-like speed. Um, and they're a very poetic tribe who spoke beautifully. And actually, this can be evidenced uh, by the song of Deborah and Barak and judges. Um, if, if you know who, Deborah is a judge and Barak is actually a military leader. And, and they go out and they, def- they win a, a battle and there's great honor in this battle against some Canaanite tribes. And so, and there's actually like a, the song of Deborah and Brock, which was written by uh, the tribe of Naphtali. Um, and so people are like, oh, that's what that is, right? Oh, poets, there's a song in there. That's pretty cool. But their greatest honor to me would be in the time of Jesus, because the tribe of Naphtali, the area they're in, actually um, holds the area of Galilee. Galilee is in Naphtali. Um, and this was the area where Jesus called most of his disciples from the area of Galilee, where he began his ministry. And if you, you were to ask me, what's the greatest example of, a, of, a, of being set loose, of being set free, because that's what we're seeing is like a deer set free. And I think the greatest example of being set, of set loose, being set free, is this, when Jesus comes and calls the first men unto him. And he sets them, he sets them free from, I mean, they're, they're fishermen. They, they're, they're tax collectors. They have a life. They have this, this um, designed path. And Jesus calls them to himself and sets them free and turns them loose upon the earth to reveal the most beautiful words of all time, the words of Jesus. And so I think that's the deeper meaning when we look at this tribe. You will be a deer set loose. And Jesus will come and he will call you to himself and set you free and turn you loose upon the the world. And no matter how great of a poet and how beautiful your words are, there are no words as beautiful as the words of Jesus Christ, which sets people free and continues to set people free. And this, I believe is what they're talking about when they're talking about the tribe of Naphtali. They're talking about Galilee and the first captives being set free. And now we come to, the to, well, not the last one, but the other son that we are expecting something amazing and beautiful and awesome, right? And everyone else is too, right? You know, all the brothers are just there like, well, wait till he says Joseph, let's see what he says. It's going to be long, and it is long says Joseph is a fruitful vine a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall with bitterness archers attacked him they shot at him with hostility but his bow remained steady his strong arms stayed limber because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob because of the shepherd the rock of Israel because of your father's God who helps you, because of the Almighty who blesses you with blessings of the skies above, blessings of the deep springs below, blessings of the breast and womb, your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains, than the bounty of the age-old hills. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince among his brothers. And everyone's like, mm, yeah. Joseph. Um, Hopefully they've settled their differences at this point. I mean, Joseph has um, definitely lent the olive branch in forgiving them. So Jacob, I mean, if you notice, we could go into detail, but what it looks like, Jacob just pronounces blessing upon blessing upon blessing over the tribe of Joseph. We have to remember this isn't just Joseph. This isn't just like the individual brother. It's the people that will come from them. And Joseph has actually, uh, Jacob has taken his sons Ephraim and Manasseh as his own. So when we look at the blessings of Joseph, we're really looking at the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. And so um, he blesses these tribes with fruitfulness, with fruitfulness. Though we see when it talks about, it still says like when with bitterness, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility, but his bow remained steady. His strong arms stayed limber. So it's not implying like blessing upon blessing upon blessing, good times upon good times, and peace and joy and no trouble at all. That's not what this is saying. And it continually points out that fruitfulness comes through those trials because of God. God, by God's hand, it's God that blesses Joseph. Yes, people come against him. There have been troubles for Joseph. There will be troubles for Joseph. There will be more trials. It won't just be good times all the time, but because of Joseph's faithfulness to God, it says, but his bow remained steady. His bow remained steady. His strong arm stayed limber because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel. Because of your father's God who helps you. Because of the Almighty who blesses you. It's pointing out over and over and over these trials and these tribulations and these things that come against Joseph. We've seen them end in fruitfulness. They've ended in blessing and it's a reminder and Joseph knew this but he's being reminded again that this blessing comes from God and God alone. He's had blessing and fruitfulness because he's remained faithful to God through the trials. And through the trials, he receives blessing. And you'll see this blessing. We've seen this blessing in Joseph's life, but we see it in the tribes after him. Ephraim and Manasseh will be the largest tribes in terms of numbers. And if you take into account that Ephraim, we talked about this earlier, would multiply amongst the Gentile nations, and that is still true to this day. Ephraim, even though we don't know Where the tribe of Ephraim is, because it's just been kind of dissipated amongst the Gentiles, it still is the largest tribe. And and before that happens, Ephraim basically swallows up um, nine of the other tribes into its own, right? And if you look, Manasseh, there's East Manasseh, where some of them decided to stay out of the promised land. Some of them decided to go in, which is actually pretty clever. You double your land right? But they have the biggest land allotment. So they have the most land, because this is the son of Joseph. They have the most land and the most people. They're blessed. They were fruitful, just as Jacob said, they were fruitful. And for those of us, like Joseph, who are running the race set before us, who are running the race and clinging to God through our trials— through our tribulations, through the rough times, when, when we're in the pit, when we remain faithful through those storms, this is God's heart to, towards us. This is God's heart for us. Blessing upon blessing and fruitfulness. And you know what that means for us? It means money. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. My dad told me the other day, he was like, you know, you say things and someone could take it and not say the just kidding part and you would look really bad. And I was like, well, I will blame Morgan for that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll blame my own heart. But, but this is God's heart toward us, right? When we're faithful to him through the trials, right? And through the storms, it's blessing upon blessing and fruitfulness, bearing fruit for his kingdom. Bearing fruit for his kingdom. It's not money. It's, it's bearing fruit for his kingdom. I think in many ways... I think when we talk about the story of Joseph, it's easy for us as Christians to identify with Joseph, right? And when we identify with Joseph, we're never like, man, I feel like Joseph because I am on top of the world. Does anyone think that? Or are we always like, I feel like Joseph in the pit. I feel like Joseph right now. betrayed by my brothers, right? It's always like that. It's always that, like that. I feel like Joseph. I did something nice for a guy in prison. They totally forgot me. I am Joseph. No one ever says, I'm Joseph. God brought me through it. I'm the second in command. Anything at my fingertips. I've forgiven those who hurt me. <laughs> Has anyone said that ever in your life? I haven't. I, ha- I mean, I have. I just want to be amongst you guys. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I-, I haven't either, right? We always think of Joseph in terms of like the negative, in terms of the trials right? We, we, we identify with being unfairly treated. We identify with being ostracized. But we cannot miss, if we're going to look at, the, at Joseph and we're going to call ourselves Joseph and we're going to identify with Joseph, then we cannot miss the blessings that came from remaining faithful. The blessings that came from remaining faithful. And I'm talking real faithfulness. He forgave his brothers. He forgave those who hurt him and ruined his life. He did as Jesus asked us to do, and his reward for his faithfulness was fruitfulness, was blessing from the rock, the cornerstone of Israel. And God has the same heart to bless us when we remain faithful and true to him, especially in the trials, especially in the trials. And now we move to the final blessing, and we will, we will come back to blessing, because this one don't feel like it. Genesis 49-27 This is Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning, he devours the prey. In the evening, he divides the plunder. He sounds kind of like a pirate. So, what do we know of Benjamin? Does that feel like Benjamin? Benjamin's like, I'm just a kid. I'm I'm not a ravenous wolf. You know, I've been nothing but kind, nothing but kind. Right? Like, I've blended into the background. But it says, and so that's how we have to remember, we're talking about the tribe of Benjamin. This is prophetic concerning his people. Notable descendants of Benjamin, King Saul, and also Saul of the New Testament, who's later renamed Paul. Um, the, but the Benjamites were known as great warriors. There's a story in the Bible um, that's a pretty accurate picture of this prophecy when you picture a ravenous wolf. Um, and it ends up in an almost absolute end to this tribe. Um, And I think we, before we go into the story, I just think it's important to note, um, because I won't be reading the whole thing, that at the end of this account, the end of this story, it says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. When it says that, when it says everyone did what was right in his own eyes, it's meaning they didn't do what was right in God's eyes. Okay, you see things happen in the Bible, atrocious things. And a lot of times, if you're just jumping in and read it, you're like, I can't believe this. I can't believe in it. But God doesn't condone those things. Even in his people, they make mistakes. King David makes mistakes. And just because they do it doesn't mean God's like, okay, that's not what's happening. So if you'll turn with me to Judges, it's going to be real fun. I need to mark it. Judges 19. And this is actually um, a pretty long story, but I'm gonna I'm gonna sum up a little bit. Um, we'll begin in verse uh, in Judges nineteen, uh, verse fifteen. I'm gonna tell you a little bit. Um, so, and this is actually you're gonna you're gonna recognize this. You're gonna be like, man, this sounds like somewhere else I've read. Um, so nineteen fifteen. There they stopped to spend the night. They went and sat in the city square. These people aren't super important. That's why I'm going back to tell you about them. But no one took them in for the night. That evening, an old man from the hill country of Ephraim, who was living in Gibeah, the inhabitants of the place were Benjamites, remember that, came in from his work in the fields. When he looked and saw the traveler in the city square, the old man asked, where are you going? Where did you come from? He answered, we are on our way from Bethlehem in Judah to a remote area in the hill country of Ephraim where I live. I've been to Bethlehem and Judah, and now I'm going to the house of the Lord. No one has taken me in for the night. We have both straw and fodder for our donkeys, and bread and wine for ourselves, um, your servants. Me, the woman, and the young man with us. We don't need anything. You're welcome at my house, the old man said. Let me supply whatever you need. Only don't spend the night in the square. Have we seen this before? Where they say, don't spend the night in the square? (coughs) Last time we saw this was Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's see what happened. So he took him into his house and fed his donkeys. After they had washed their feet, they had something to eat and drink. While they were enjoying themselves, some of the wicked men of the city surrounded the house. Pounding on the door, they shouted to the old man who owned the house, Bring out the man who came to your house so we can have sex with him. Very similar. The owner of the house went outside and said to them, No, my friends, don't be so vile. Since this man is my guest, don't do this outrageous thing. Look, here's my virgin daughter and, and his concu- here's my virgin daughter and his concubine. I will bring them out to you now, and you can use them and do to them whatever you wish. But as for this man, don't do such an outrageous thing. Now this is like the, the rules governing hospitality at this time. If someone is in your house, it is your utmost responsibility to care for them. Um, But it also shows how everyone just does what's right in their own eyes. But the man would not listen to him. So the man took his concubine and sent her outside to them, and they raped her and abused her throughout the night, and at dawn they let her go. At daybreak, the woman went back to the house where her master was staying, fell down at the door, and lay there until daylight. When her master got up in the morning and opened the door of the house and stepped out to continue on his way, there lay his concubine, fallen in the doorway of the house, with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, get up, let's go, but there was no answer. Then the man... Uh, put her on his donkey and set out for home. When he reached home, because she's dead, this is a lovely story. I read this to my kids last night. He took a knife and he cut up his concubine, limb by limb, in 12 parts, and sent them into all the areas of Israel. Everyone who saw it was saying to one another, such a thing has never been seen or done, not not since the day the Israelites came up out of Egypt. Just imagine, we must do something. So speak up. So he sends this to the 12 tribes to say, look what the tribe of Benjamin has done. Look what the tribe of Benjamin has done. This is heinous. This is disgusting. And so all of Israel, all of Israel, send men to Benjamin, not him, but the tribe, to call. And Ben's like, I don't even know. I, don't, I was sleeping. But he, so he sent all of Israel there to say, give us the men who did this because we're going to put them to death. This is heinous. Never, this hasn't happened since we've left Egypt. Send us out the men who have done this thing, and we're going to put them to death. And the tribe of Benjamin says no. And so they go to war with the rest of Israel. 26,000 Benjamites go to war with 400,000 Israelites. 26,000 versus 400,000. And for the first two days, the tribe of Benjamin is winning. For the first two days. They sound pretty ravenous as a wolf, right? We see this, right? So and it even notes in the story, in this story, that the tribe of Benjamin, they had 700 left-handed men who could sling a stone at a hare and not miss. And they're like, so these guys are warriors. They are fighters. But eventually, the rest of Israel almost completely obliterates the Benjamites so so that Israel begins to mourn. Because they're like, we've wiped out the tribe of Benjamin. The Benjamites will be no more. And they'd all sworn to never give the Benjamins one of, Benjamites one of their women in, in marriage. So they're like, there's barely any men left. We've all said we will not marry our daughters to them. They are basically dead. The tribe of Benjam- Benjamin, we're watching them die right before us. Um, they, they, they will disappear. And so Benjamin, tribe Benjamin, they end up kidnapping women who come to Shiloh for the annual festival of the Lord. These women come to Shiloh for the annual festival of the Lord and kidnap women to marry. And the rest of the Israelites are like, well, we promised not to give them any, and we didn't. They took them. So note, at the end of this story, it says everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This is how bad it gets. This is how bad it gets. Just wait. Just wait. This is where it's going, right? When everyone does what is right in their own eyes, when everyone has their own truth, that's what it could have said. And everyone had their own truth and everyone lived by their own rules. And this is what happens and we think, that's disgusting. That's, that's disgusting. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine Such a heinous act, right? When everyone does what's right in their own eyes. Now, that tribe, that that story alone shows us how the tribe of Benjamin could be like a a ravenous wolf who devours his prey and divides the plunder, right? That's the end of the sermon. I didn't have anywhere good to go after that. It's kind of like, you know, like... Huh, why'd they end on Benjamin? But let's, let's read the rest in, in Genesis 49, um, 28. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them when he blessed them, giving each the blessing appropriate to him. Then he gave them these instructions. I'm about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite, the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre in Canaan which Abraham bought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. There Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave in it were were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. So here we see Jacob instruct his children to bury him with Leah, not with Rachel. To bury him on the land that they owned inside the promised land. You know this had to be hard. You know this had to be a hard decision for him. Because Rachel is his love. Right? Rachel is the one he wants to be beside. But he tells them to lay him beside Leah on the land that they had purchased that was theirs in the promised land. Because Rachel was buried on the roadside on the way to Bethlehem. And this just shows us. Jacob. From beginning to end, first and foremost, is the promise of God, is the blessing of God, is the instruction of God, living unto God, doing what's asked, standing on his word, right? Guiding his people toward the promise of God. It led every single decision that he made, even this one, which had to be difficult, which had to be very difficult. There is a bigger plan. Jacob sees it. Even even all these brothers— Who who have made their own path and who will make their own path and will get different land allotments and whose tribes will go in different ways. And God has a plan for each tribe and a purpose for each tribe. But there's a bigger plan and a bigger purpose, and Jacob is aware of it. Every decision he makes is for that purpose. There is a bigger plan. God has a plan for each of our lives. And we're always seeking that out. What's your plan for my life? What do you want me to do? God has a plan for each of our lives. God has a plan for each of us, but we have a common future. The body of Christ has a common future. We have individual destinies, but a common future. And this is how some of these blessings that seem more like curses are actually blessings. Some of these things we see as curses or negative are actually blessings because they end up being blessings for the entire tribe. They might not seem like blessings to that tribe, but they're blessings for the entire tribe. Let's look at Reuben. Reuben, if Reuben is allowed to become the leader of Israel, well, what do we see with him? He's reckless. He abused his power he abused his honor, and if he's allowed to rule the nation of Israel, God's people, when we already know he's reckless, he's abused his honor, he's abused his power. What will become of the people of God if he is their leader? Yeah, it's a good word. I like it. Instability. That's what will become of all of Israel if Reuben is the leader, right? So he. His tribe, good things still happen for the tribe, but he's not chosen as a leader because that would not be a blessing for the group, for all of them, right? If he's allowed to lead, cruelty and abuse of honor and power could travel down through the generations and inherit consequences for generations. His sin could inherit consequences for generations to come because sin has lasting effects. In Exodus 20, Verse five, it says, you shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations, showing love for a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So what's happening here, what seems like curses to the individual are actually blessings for the entire body that they might, as a people, through proper leadership, learn to love and keep God's commandments so that he might bless them for a thousand generations, because that is his heart. He says sin, before Jesus comes and dies on the cross, it's like, sin, I'll punish to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but for those who love me, I will bless for a thousand generations. And so what seems like, oh man, this poor Reuben, right? Because he wasn't blessed the way we thought he might have, uh, or the way he thought he might have been blessed, because he didn't receive that, the Israelites can be blessed for a thousand generations rather than cursed for three or four generations because that is God's plan for the whole group, for all of Israel, right? Right? What seems like curses to the individual are blessings for the entire body that they might know God. Sometimes, sometimes, guys, because I know we are always playing, praying for blessings. People are always praying for blessings. Sometimes we are blessed by restriction. Sometimes we're blessed by being restricted. Some, in fact, what many people see in the Bible as rules and restrictions are actually keys to blessing. Have you ever, can you think of a time in your life? Because I can now, looking back, I can think of a time in my life where I've been blessed by restriction, by not getting the thing that I wanted, by God keeping something from me that I desired, that I thought was of him, and it wasn't even sin. It was just something I was working towards that that I thought he wanted me to do, and it just never worked out and never worked out and never worked out. And I was like, why are you restricting me? And now I see the blessing in that restriction. I see how he had a different plan for not just me, but for my family, for my children, for the body of Christ. He had a different blessing, but we can get so caught up in the blessing we want, because what we want is a blessing for ourselves. When we think of a blessing, we pray for a blessing, we want blessing for ourselves. But God wants to bless us in a way that blesses the body, that blesses other other children right? And he will bless us too with fruitfulness as we remain faithful, but the blessings don't always look like we think. But God's desire is to bless the body, to bless the whole. And sometimes it means some of our blessings look a little different than we want them to look. They look a little different. Doesn't mean God doesn't have a blessing for you, or that his only blessing is restriction. you're like, oh, great, my blessing is restriction? Great. Right? I want to be set free like a doe. Like a fawn. (laughs) Right? And everyone's like, everyone's going to be praying that. Lord, set me loose like a fawn. But, But God has a blessing for all of us. And it might be different, but it's for the blessing of others. Notice that Jacob, talking about blessing, know that Jacob called every single son in and gave them a blessing. This isn't common at the time. Usually, he would have just called the children in of his wives, not of his concubines. He calls every single son in and gives them all a blessing, whether they were the children of his most loved wife or his first wife that he was tricked into marrying, whether they were children of his concubines, whether they were model children, or whether they like took some time finding their way, right? They still got a blessing from the father. They still got a blessing. From the Father. And it's so uncommon in this time for this to happen. I mean, we read the Bible and we see it and we're like, oh, that's cool. But this does not happen in this time for everyone to get a blessing as if they are full children. It's like we are full children and treated like like a full child of God when we accept Jesus in our hearts. But Jacob has something for each one, every child just like God has something for every child. Everyone here has a unique purpose that is to be used, hear me out, not for your own personal blessing, not for your own personal blessing, but to be a blessing to the body of Christ, first and foremost, and then to others, to be a blessing to the people of God. Every single person here has a calling for the body of Christ, but we have to be submissive to the blessing god wants to give us so often we miss out on the blessing god wants to give us because we want something else because we're praying for something else because we just feel like god is restricting us from the blessing and sometimes we even like use his word to be like man i'm just being faithful sometimes you got to you know you hear it all the time you got to step out in faith even when it's not there right even when it's not there you just got to step out in faith for the blessing i remember we were on tour and uh, we, we, um, we always play with a bunch of different people. We played with these guys um, just one time. Thank you, Jesus. And um, I remember there was a young man, and he was talking to me, and we were more like a, of a developed band. So he was telling me, like, man, I just want to sing and worship God, and God just called me to just sing and worship him. And my parents just don't understand. My parents just don't understand. They don't get it. So, so what did you do? And I was like, well, I mean, my parents were pretty supportive of it, so I don't really know what to tell you. Like, um, like because you know, and just I was, I was always like older than the rest of them. Like, let me tell you, my child. First of all, you have to honor your your parents. You have to you have to honor your parents. But also, if God's calling you to do something, you know, there comes a point where you have to follow God. You know, and I, and I didn't give him like the answer. So like, so don't listen from your parents. I didn't say that. I was just like trying to give him like this. So then they go up and play, and he's singing, I think it was like How He Loves, wasn't it? Oh, How He Loves Us, yeah, because it, it burned in my memory, it was so bad. And he was like, oh, how he loves And that's good, I'm actually hitting the notes. They sound bad. He sounded like the seagull from The Little Mermaid. It was the worst thing I'd ever heard. Seriously. And we're standing there, and I was like, man, if I had heard you sing, I would say, you need to honor your parents first and foremost, bro. God, God has not called you to sing, man. He hasn't given you the gifting. He hasn't given you the blessing. That fruit is dead and rotten and on the ground. I'm not sure it was ever produced from this tree. You are awful. I wanted to leave the room. I stood there. Because we had talked, I felt like I had to stand there and listen to you. It's the worst day of my life. Couldn't wait to get out of there. You're so bad. God thought it was a beautiful sound, but no one else did, okay? That's not the blessing for you, buddy. I didn't say that. I just was like, let's get out of here. Let's get out of here, please. My ears are killing me, right? We have to accept that God has a blessing for us, and it might not be the one we want. But in the end, it will be better, not just for us, but for those around us. And I think this is a thing that has made the body of Christ weaker, is that we all want the same blessings. Or maybe, maybe we don't think of things as blessings, we think of some things as work, right? Like, yeah, pe- people wanna preach, people wanna lead worship, people wanna do things, and I'm not, I'm not talking about this, everywhere you go, people wanna do the things that are in front of people, right? People be like, hey, you want me to preach for you? Uh, can you do a funeral for me? Ooh. No one wants to do that, right? There's because there's no glory in it. It's not the same thing. And, and and some of us as Christians, and not just us, I'm talking about the global church. We've bought into that. There's like two blessings: we can preach, or you can sing, and that's it. And so everyone desires those, and then the body is left weakened because the because those aren't the only blessings. Those aren't the only blessings. There are so many more blessings that are equally as important. Some of us have the blessing to be evangelists. There are people in this room who can talk to someone one-on-one about Jesus on the street, and it's just so natural, so natural. that like, they're like, and they do it better than than I do it. I think that's another thing we bought into is like pastors are the best prayer warriors, they're the best intercessory prayer people, they're the best evangelists, they're the best. But there are there are people who are really really good at talking to people one on one and just bringing up Jesus. Evan's good at it. Craig is good at it. I tell I tell them all like y'all are way better than me. At it. You can just bring it up and it's not even weird. You know how I mean we've all tried to talk about Jesus sometime and you bring it up and you're like, so Jesus and like people are like and, and you're like, Aah. and it's like, huh. You know, and it's like but <laughs> and it's like I just I just waiting to know I'm I'm just waiting to I'm like, oh, because I'm going to hell and I'm like I wasn't gonna start with that. Um <laughs> you know, but like there are people who are better than me at talking to people about Jesus one-on-one, on the street, and just making it so natural. There are people who are really good at teaching children the Word of God and making them understand and demonstrating it for them. Let me tell you something. The people who are teaching our children about God, they are doing the same thing I am doing. They're doing the same thing. If you volunteer in the nursery, if you volunteer in children's church, if you volunteer at earth, you're doing the same exact thing that I am doing. It's equally as important. It might not be in front of people. And guess what? It might be more difficult. <laughs> might be a little more difficult. But you know what? I even think it might be a little bit more important. Because you're putting those seeds in. Things that you'll remember. Things that they will remember for the rest of their lives. My parents taught me the Bible. They did. But I had a children's church pastor named David Gerst. And he, what he did, like... He, he did this contest, and I actually did it in a middle school youth when I started because it worked so well. I copied his method because it taught me the word of the Lord so well, so well, as much as my parents taught me the word of the Lord. It is as vital, as important. When we come before the throne of God, my children's church pastor will be glorified as much as I am. Right? We we receive the same crown. He might receive a a crown with more more jewels on it than me because I don't know what he's done throughout his life. But we cannot just look and say there are two blessings. There there are two things I want because God has given us different blessings. And we need to understand the importance of those things, the importance of those blessings, the importance of those people that that are volunteering and being used. It is vital the people who are teaching our children. It's vital, vital, more important than this. It's vital. It is vital for people to be able to talk to people on the street about Jesus and not make them feel condemned or judged God's called people to be apostles. God's called people to be prophets. God has called people to do local missions. God has called people to do international missions. Everyone has a different purpose. We cannot just dream of the same blessing. To be honest, I never wanted to be a pastor. Still not sure. No, I'm just kidding. I never wanted to be a pastor. This is not what I wanted to be. This is a blessing he had for me. Not the one I wanted. But I'm happy in it. I'm happy in it. I have peace in it. I see God moving in it. I see God moving through it. Are we willing to put aside the blessing we want to seek the heart of Jesus and what blessing he has for us that we might be a blessing to the body and that we might be a blessing to the world? We will be more effective as a church and you will be more effective as a follower of Christ if you are operating in the blessing God has given you rather than the blessing that you want. But I can tell you, you will find greater peace and greater joy and greater fruitfulness in the blessing that God has for you. And God has... blessing for each one of us each one every child full children god calls us to him and speaks forth a blessing that may not always feel like a blessing but for his purpose and for his calling and for his people it's where you will bear the most fruit and be the biggest blessing and isn't that what we want In our heart of hearts, isn't that what we want? Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you that you love us so much. I thank you. I thank you that you have a blessing for each one of us. I thank you that you have something that is unique to each one of us, Lord, that you created us the way we are for a reason. And, and honestly, sometimes I think we hide from the blessing that you have for us because it, it uses the parts of us we don't like. Lord, but so often you take something that we've done, you take our past, you take our greatest pain and our greatest hurt and turn it into your greatest glory. You do it over and over and over again. It's all you do, Lord. And I just pray that, that our heart The heart of your people would be reaching for the heart of God to desire the blessing you have for us and not the blessing that we want, that we might bear fruit for the kingdom of God, that we might see people saved and see people healed and see people come to know you more and see people who need love loved on by your hands and feet, Lord, by us. May we operate in the blessing that you want for us, Lord. And that begins with trusting you with trusting you with our whole hearts, with our soul, with our mind, with our body. Lord, I trust you with the blessing you have for me. We trust you with the blessings that you have for this body. Lord, I just pray that our heart's desire would to be useful unto you to be useful unto you, that you would make us into the tool that you want to make us into. I just pray that you would break our hearts down, that we could submit to you, Lord, that we would stop seeing the things that you withhold as you restricting us, but that we even see the things we don't have as blessings. I don't know why I don't have that. I've prayed for it. I don't know why I don't have it. But I I know that you haven't given to me and so it must be a good thing that I don't have it. It must be a good thing that I haven't received it because I know that you love me. I know that you have a plan for me and it might be hard to understand that's not it. But I I just pray that you would help us to receive it, to receive this word. And I pray that we would go forth and we would stop just praying for blessings for ourselves, but we would pray for blessings on the people around us, Lord. That we would pray blessing upon blessing and fruitfulness upon fruitfulness upon those around us, Lord, and help us to remain faithful as Joseph did through the trial, that we might receive the blessing that you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.